Background Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 and Matthew chapter 2 verse 15 was presented by Charlie Dewberry on August 4, 2015 at Gutenberg College's Summer Institute Reunion, Tanakh and the Gospel of Matthew. The copyright for this recording is held by Gutenberg College, Inc., 2015. Gutenberg College is a non-profit organization, and contributions may be made at www.gutenberg.edu. This material may be copied and distributed in whole for non-commercial and educational purposes, subject to the inclusion of this introduction. All other rights reserved. PDF notes accompany this talk. The following recording was made in a classroom setting, and technical difficulties resulted in some reduction in sound quality. All right, so I'm going to talk about the next pair of verses here, Matthew 2.15 and Hosea 11.1. 1. Well, I'm Charlie Dewberry. I'm a tutor here, and there was a certain amount of trepidation for me to consider doing this. One, I'm a Gentile. Secondly, I'm an ignorant Gentile. So I was one of those people that when I saw I had something out of Hosea, I went, oh man, where's the index? <laughs> so I just want to put that up front. But in the tradition of Gutenberg and our liberal arts tradition, I drew some comfort from the fact that the questions we're asking here are very complex and they're very difficult and they're multi-layered. And the best way to approach those kinds of questions is with a number of people who have interest in the topic and various skills. And out of that process, a great amount of progress will be made by everyone in the group. And I take comfort in that. And I can also say, I think I'm in the running for the person that's going to learn the most out of this. <laughs> So, with that being said, I'm going to look at Matthew 2.15 and Hosea 11.1. 1. And I have 20 minutes to do this. At first I went, you're kidding. How is this possible? David got 40 minutes yesterday. But after yesterday, I went, oh, this isn't quite as bad as it seems because there's an awful lot of familiar themes here. So anyone who has looked at it already recognizes that, boy, there's a lot going to be the same today that we talk about uh, in these two verses, which I think is very helpful. So I'm going to cheat a little bit here, and I'm going to take advantage of yesterday. So unfortunately, if you weren't here yesterday, there's probably going to be a few holes in my explanation for you, and I apologize for that. First, I'm actually going to start with the Matthew passage, Matthew 2.15. And I'm actually not going to make a whole lot of comments about this because I assume the background of this is fairly familiar. It's about the birth of Jesus and the Magi have come and given their gifts and they've left. And at that point, Joseph gets a dream and basically he's told, take your family and go to Egypt and stay there until Herod's dead because, of course, Herod wants to kill him. So our key verse is Matthew 2.15. Well, and I'll start with 2.14. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, 
where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Okay, so first we have the issue of looking back, Matthew's telling us, and this happened, so what was fulfilled that the prophet had said? So that seems a little familiar. This came up yesterday. So it looks like we've got a similar sort of issue, at least on the surface. So, and then the quote, out of Egypt I called my son. This is a quote right out of the Septuagint from Hosea 11.1. 1. So I'll stop here for questions, but that's all the background I'm intending to give on the Matthew passage. As I say, I think it's familiar to you. And so the reference here is, out of Egypt I called my son. And in this case, the background is, obviously it's Joseph and Jesus at this point in Matthew that are going to Egypt and at some point are going to be coming out of Egypt. So any questions on the Matthew passage? As I say, I think most of us are familiar with that, and that's fairly straightforward. So the issue we have that I'll spend most of the time here in the next 20 minutes is on Hosea. And, okay, first, just some general comments about Hosea. Okay, first, who was he? Son of Beri, and he's prophesying for the northern kingdom. And he's prophesying at the same time that Isaiah was prophesying in Judah. So in other words, we're talking about the same time frame. So the comments David made yesterday about the historical situation. We've got the split kingdom, and Isaiah was prophesying and talking to Judah and saying, well, things aren't quite so bad for you. At least Jerusalem isn't going down you're going to exist here. Hosea is prophesying for the northern kingdom, which we mentioned yesterday isn't going to fare well here. And so Hosea is basically prophesying to the northern kingdom, and he's basically telling them it's not going to be pretty. You're going down, and why you're going down. But in this, like the Isaiah passage, all is not bleak. There's going to be several times these references in it that take heart. There will be a day where the two kingdoms are united and promises of God will be realized. So that's similar again, in a sense, to Isaiah. But there are differences here. And one of those differences is the northern kingdom is going down. So I'll talk a little bit about what the book is about. So the major points, it seems to me, is background for Hosea, that Israel, the northern kingdom, has been unfaithful to God, and the unfaithfulness is going to result in destruction and exile for those that are left. And three, that there ultimately will be a restoration with the people, and they will return to the faithfulness in God. So, even with this grim message that's coming, there still is this hope. So, it seems to me those are the main points in Hosea. And again, those should sound familiar. There seems to be sort of a form and a pattern here. Now, I want to look at a little bit of the general structure of Hosea. And most of this, in the few minutes I have, I'm going to highlight some of the differences here as we go through, as well as some of the similarities. So first in chapter one, right out of the box, 
God tells Hosea to marry a harlot, Gomer, and have children with her. So again, we have a child. We talked about that yesterday, the significance of the child, who he was, and what it is. The first child was born. God said, name him Jezreel. Well, what's Jezreel? It's the site of a massacre. God's going to punish the house of Jezu for that massacre, and he's going to put an end to the house of Israel, the northern kingdom. Next, there's going to be another child. Second child is born, Lo Ruhamah. She has not obtained compassion. God is no longer has compassion on the house of Israel, but he does have compassion and will have compassion on the house of Judah. Next, there's a third child. The third child is Lo-Ami, not my people. For you are not my people, and I'm not your God. And this verse seems to me that it's also hearkening back all the way to the Mosaic Covenant and the promises, where God is claiming he will be their God and you will be my people, that this is the antithesis of that. So chapter 1, in essence, is laying out with this picture of this marriage with three children. And again, it's interesting to see how Hosea is using these three children and their birth and the significance of their name. Seems to me that was a topic we talked considerable amount about yesterday. Well, in chapter 2, God lays out their unfaithfulness and that he's going to condemn them. But chapter 2 also includes a piece about the restoration. Chapter 3, this is kind of bizarre. I'm not going to get into it very much. But the Lord goes to Hosea again and basically proposes a new relationship with a different woman. So he wants Hosea to love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress. And his claim is, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods. Now, I'm not going to go to any more detail, but what's going on here seems to be a little bit different from how Isaiah was organized and how Isaiah is making the argument. And then basically, the chapters 4 through 10 are basically laying out the charges God has against the northern kingdom. And it culminates at the end of chapter 10, where he basically says the king is cut off, end of the northern kingdom. Chapter 11, this is our verse. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals. And they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke of their neck and bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them? because they refuse to repent. And I'm going to stop here in reading through the verses because at the end of 10, he's condemned them and basically said the northern kingdom is coming to an end. And here we have the direct quote that Matthew is using. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. I don't think I'm stealing too much thunder from the discussions and whatever we're going to say, but I can't help but notice the verb here is past tense. This is something that already happened, and I think even an ignorant Gentile like me (laughs) catches 
that that's a reference to the Exodus. So it seems to me then that we do have a lot of parallels and similarities to what we were dealing with yesterday. And so the question we have is Matthew is using this passage And he used it in the context of Joseph taking Mary and Jesus to Egypt. And he's claiming that it was to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. Well, the prophecy of Isaiah here is something that already happened. So it seems to me we have a similar problem that we had yesterday. But there are some differences with this one. And so with that, that completes what I consider to be the background to go into discussion. So we started just a little bit late. If there are any questions or anything I was totally unclear about, um, I'll take those questions now. Yes. You had mentioned early on, this is just a small point, this came out of Septuagint. Yes. I made a note in my Bible that Septuagint, but when I look at that Masoretic text, it looks exactly the same. How is it that we know it comes from the Septuagint? Actually, the only reason I was saying that it came out of the Septuagint is it was identical in the Septuagint. I'll have to turn to somebody else about the Masoretic text. Is that strictly a straight translation of the Masoretic text? Keep wrestling with that. (laughs) What I'm saying is is that that's something that will be good to continue to think about and ponder as you go into your workshops. I don't mean to put you off completely, but the way I see these workshops is as an opportunity for you to really experience what the students at Gutenberg College do, which is to come to discussions with questions like that and go, what do you all think? And then then work on those in a group with each other and and help Mm -hmm. one another that way. And then I might actually try to answer that question at 1 o'clock this afternoon. (laughs) Okay, any other questions? All right.